0: There's more to fear than the freezing cold. This world is a strange one. Alaska is a beautiful cold wilderness. With all that unmanned territory, you better believe there are plenty of things to be scared of out there. You could get lost and freeze to death. You could get devoured by a hungry bear. You could stumble upon something unexplained, something quite dangerous. So pack up your hiking gear and add a few layers of clothing. Let's take a look at some allegedly true Alaskan horror stories. But first, you should stay updated by following me on Twitter at Dark Prevails. I've been chatting with fans there and just having a good time with people. So I hope to see you there too. Also, I would absolutely love to do a video on truckers' scary stories. So if you're a trucker and have encountered something creepy on the road, send me your story at deathbyfear.com. Now, hand warmers aren't going to do you any good when your hands are frozen solid. Number one, I'll never go back to Big Lake. Submitted by Tenchi. I lived in Alaska for 10 years. I've associated with many questionable people, During my time in Alaska, I was homeless on three separate occasions. The second time was after three years of living there. I found myself needing to rely on my peer group of friends at the time. More or less, I was couch surfing and helping them with their bills. I wasn't poor, just temporarily destitute. It was at the tail end of July when most of us found ourselves with a three-day weekend and a favorable weather forecast. Nine of us decided it would be a good chance to get out of Anchorage, get as far away from civilization as our cars would take us, and just be reckless as hell in the woods. So the night before we left, two friends and I, let's call them Jake and Todd, went to CARR's, the local Safeway-owned supermarket chain, and stocked up on roughly $150 worth of camping food and canned or bottled drinks. Friday morning, 8 a.m. sharp, Jake, Todd and myself piled into Jake's SUV. Then we went to his dad's house to grab a few extra things. I asked Jake what we were picking up there and if the group would be meeting us at his dad's house. He told me it's something fun for Saturday and we'll be meeting them in Wasilla. When we got to his house, Todd and I stepped out of the car to have a smoke while Jake ran inside looking giddy as a child on Christmas. About five minutes later, He came walking back out holding a box that looked like it weighed 20 pounds. I asked what it was, and he replied, come take a look. He sat the box down in the back of his SUV in a space he had cleared out for it. Then he opened the box in front of us. Inside was a bunch of random stuff you would buy at a hardware store, but then I noticed some bottles with rags jammed into the top. He began pulling things out one at a time. As he said, pipe bomb, smoke bomb, exploding tennis ball, Molotovs. It was a literal box of Anarchist Cookbook 2009 edition. He even had some cans of bear mace, about seven knives, bolt cutters, and a crowbar. Todd, seeing all this, said, we must be going to the bunkers then. Jake then ran off one more time and came back with some small camping propane tanks. I asked him what the bunkers were and he explained it to me on the drive there. It only took us roughly four hours. Both Jake and the other driver liked to redline their speedometers when outside of Anchorage, what's normally a two-hour drive from Anchorage to Wasilla we did in 45 minutes. We met with the other group and we all began to head towards Big Lake. At the end of the four-hour journey, we were somewhere in the woods between Big Lake and Susitna. It was explained to me that there was an old abandoned military base from when Russia still owned Alaska Around that area, they had what we called the bunkers and it was generally known as a place where you could get away with anything. Once we were there, we discovered that one of the cans of bear mace had burst all over the soda, so Friday evening was spent washing the cans so we could actually touch them. And that night I saw all manner of debauchery. Our nine people weren't the only group to be there that night. I saw cops pull up Buy, yes, actually buy drugs then leave without a moment's glance at anyone. I saw girls who looked like they couldn't be older than 15 literally being prostitutes. Some of them were even bragging about how much they could make in one night. It was a bit disgusting, to be honest, but that was life for these kinds of people. They can live it how they want. Peaceful night behind us, Jake woke Todd and me up at roughly 9 a.m. and told us to grab our backpacks. He began filling his backpack and Todd's with IEDs, the other can of bear mace, two of those little propane tanks, and some tools. I was assigned to be the pseudo-medic of the group. My backpack was packed with food and water, first aid and a maglite, and a pair of cheap hand axes, and I knew most of it wouldn't even last the trip. Once we were ready, we began walking away from our campsite. About an hour later, we arrived at a partially covered over chain link fence and some signs that were, of course, in Russian. Another couple of minutes later, we arrived at the bunkers and it appeared just as it was described to me, concrete buildings slowly being reclaimed by nature. What few paved paths were left were broken and partially buried. Yep, derelict and dilapidated. Jake led us through some of the buildings, We stopped a few times and tested out his explosives. One of his pipe bombs even managed to blow an inch thick steel door open off of its hinges. I got bored of watching things explode when Jake threw one of the small propane tanks into a bonfire he lit in the corner. He was trying to demolish a half broken building. He managed to light the concrete on fire, but still it was getting repetitive. So I just told them I was going to walk around. Eventually I came to a set of stairs, that led to a lower level of one of the bunkers. I called my fellow adventurers over and pulled out my maglite. Todd followed me down, but Jake said he would in a moment, and sure enough, he came back with a makeshift torch because fire, I guess. He was a pyromaniac. We explored the basement level for a while before we suddenly hit this rancid smell that began to permeate towards us. If you've ever been to a landfill, it smelled just as sour and gross as that. Todd and Jake couldn't take it, so they noped out. But I've worked in janitorial, so I was used to the smells a human body could produce. I kept exploring and pushing further. I went to round rooms with overturned steel bed frames. I saw the expected Satanist and anarchist graffiti, along with whatever bits weren't taken when Russia left. Except for one room. A room towards the back had the worst of the rotting smell coming from it, and when I looked in, I saw a plastic folding table, the top of which was covered with all manner of grime and filth. I was not about to go in and inspect it more, but still, it was odd that it was standing up. Peering around the room, I saw the floor was randomly littered with decaying masses of flesh. There was blood and decay everywhere. There were deer carcasses and fish corpses, parts of a moose, as if someone pulled a moose in here and blew it up. Then there were several dead cats. It was very gruesome and disgusting. I was primed to move onto the next room when I heard a muffled boom. Dirt fell from the ceiling, and then I heard a deep guttural growl. I ran like hell out of there, and once I was back to the top level, I began calling for my friends. I told them we needed to go, but Jake didn't want to leave yet. He still had two more pieces of ordnance to blow up. But he changed his mind when we heard a loud roar coming from the direction I just came from. What is that? I heard Jake ask. I pulled out the pack of smoked sausages and Jake pulled out the bear mace and we began to head back to camp. We had chills going down our spines as we darted our eyes in every direction we knew we were being followed. We were almost back to the chain link fence when a huge brown bear rounded a corner 50 feet from us and he stared us straight down. Its lips curled back and its mouth opened wide and it roared at us. The massive thing bounded towards us at a speed we couldn't outrun. So we did what we had to do to survive. I tore open the pack of sausages and hugged it in its direction. Then I sprinted out of there. The other two were already 10 feet ahead of me. Going in a dead sprint for so long like that, it was extremely exhausting, but eventually we slowed down and checked our rear to see that it wasn't chasing us anymore. I said hopefully the food worked, but Jake and Todd agreed that we should get back to camp as soon as possible. We walked for about an hour or so when we began to hear steps in the woods behind us. Immediately, my stomach sank and it became sour. The fear was coming back fast because now I knew that that bear had only been momentarily distracted from us. I guess the sausage was nice and now it wanted a bigger meal. So we began running again. But the moment we began sprinting once more, the footsteps picked up pace and the sounds drew closer by the second. And before we knew it, the bear was about 20 yards behind us and gaining. This thing was starving. I thought at least one of us wasn't going to make it, but then all of a sudden, Jake stopped. My eyes widened in disbelief. What was he doing, I thought? Was he just going to give up like that? Maybe he was sacrificing himself so we could get away. I wasn't sure. I'd never been in a situation like that before. I'd never been so horrified, but then I watched him reach into his backpack He pulled out a pipe bomb that I guess he had been saving and there I was thinking he'd blown up everything he'd had already. He lit the bomb and stared at the bear, the fuse growing shorter, fast. At the last second, he tossed it at the bear who was only about six or seven yards away and it seemed like the moment the bomb hit the ground, it exploded. The bear literally screamed, turned on its haunches and ran away. I was filled with so much relief. I didn't think I'd be thankful that Jake was with us, the pyromaniac who wanted to blow everything up. Because he had decided to carry a bunch of illegal explosives with him, we were saved. When we got back to camp, you know I hugged that guy. We got back at around six that evening and the rest of the night we spent talking about what had happened at the bunker. Sunday was spent close to camp and we found a small river that we went swimming in, but we still kept our eyes peeled for any more bears. Experimental kitchen explosives are very risky, but I'm grateful that they were there with us. A creepy room in a dead military bunker filled with shredded animal corpses was disturbing, but the scariest part was getting charged by a huge, angry Alaskan brown bear. I've never been more scared in my life, and I don't think I'll be going back to Big Lake after that. I want to begin by saying that this story is 100% true and that I've even linked an article pertaining to the case at the end. You can check the link in the description. Well, back in 2011, my family and I went to visit a family friend, Mike, at his trailer out in the middle of nowhere in Alaska. It was during summer, so the weather was quite nice and sunny, no snow to speak of. I was around 14 at the time and I remember being particularly excited because Mike had a few ATV four-wheelers that my siblings and I got to drive around to explore the expanse of land. We met his son, Blair, who was a little older than my brother, sister, and I at the time, maybe in his early 20s. He seemed decent, though back then I remember thinking that I wouldn't want to hang out with him, if not for my brother and sister being there with me. We all hopped on our ATVs and drove out to explore the land, weaving through the forest and out into dirt paths. He led us up a very steep hill and I felt rather anxious because when I say steep hill, I mean steep. I honestly thought my ATV was going to flip over at any second, but we made it to the base of the hill and I remember heaving a sigh of relief. Blair took us to a small ice cream shop nearby and he bought us all milkshakes After this, I began to relax around him. After the milkshakes, we met his friend at a basketball court. His name was Trevor, a skinny, tattooed, shirtless man, a drug dealer by the looks of it. There was graffiti covering every inch of the walls surrounding the court, most of it saying things like, Trevor sucks such and such for gas money, and other degrading things about him. At this point, in the company of this other friend, I began to feel a bit nervous, Luckily though, we ended up leaving a few minutes later and I relaxed as we returned to explore on our ATVs. The day ended with us returning back to Mike's trailer and roasting dinner over the campfire. Everything was great and aside from Blair's weird choice and friends, I thoroughly enjoyed the trip. We went home later that night. Then a few weeks later, we saw Mike on the news. Blair, his son, had killed him and stuffed his body under a trailer. Mike had been stabbed several times in the chest and Blair took a picture of his dead father, then sent it to a family member who then contacted the police. When my father told me about what happened, I felt a shiver run down my spine. Blair was a cold-blooded murderer. I couldn't believe my young siblings and I had spent an entire day with a to-be killer, laughing and actually enjoying ourselves not knowing who this kid would turn out to be. Number three, Motherlode Lodge, submitted by Paz. I've been living in Alaska for quite a few years now, and I've seen, heard, and encountered some pretty strange and creepy things. I've suddenly heard voices in old towns and I've seen what appeared to be apparitions on train tracks. I've seen shootings and physical assaults in Anchorage and there's plenty I could share with you all. But this story, this really takes the cake. I live in a small town that's close to a place on the mountains called Hatcher Pass. Hatcher Pass was originally used for miners to access their sites in the Talkeetna Mountains during the Alaskan Gold Rush. The conditions for working in the mines during these times was extremely fatal. Many lost their lives due to the mines collapsing or from the extreme winter weather Alaska is known to have. Avalanches killed some of the miners and destroyed many of the buildings that were left. Nowadays, it's mostly used for tourism in the summer and skiing in the winter. That still doesn't stop the strange occurrences reported there from time to time from locals and tourists alike, especially at Motherlode Lodge. Motherlode Lodge was built in 1942 to serve traveling miners between Palmer and Willow. In 1983, that focused more on tourism. It offered lovely food and seasonal menus, and it had a shop that sold ski items, among other things that someone visiting would want or need. With the exception of the rooms, it offered its services to both guests and those passing by. Where I live, it's no surprise to hear the lodge was haunted. No one really knows what draws so many paranormal happenings to Hatcher Pass in the first place, but it seems to be the hotspot of ghostly encounters, maybe because it's been around for a long time, but I don't know. There have often been reports of a misty black apparition roaming the grounds. Many guests have looked into the mirrors of this place only to see a figure dressed in a different period's clothing standing behind them, yet when they turn around, there's no one there. There have also been loud banging noises, mysterious knocking, and the disembodied voice of a young girl. Others claim to have seen doors and curtains opening and closing by themselves late at night. Typical horror story things, I know. I've always believed in the paranormal somewhat, and I'm usually enthusiastic about it, however, that doesn't stop me from being skeptical and having doubts about hearing things like this. It seemed like the perfect setting, a beautiful place with such a dark past to be haunted. So I didn't buy it at first. If anything, it could have all been employed to attract more guests. So that's what I thought until I had my own encounter. I was 15 years old at the time of this story I was living in Alaska with my parents and younger brother and the rest of my family lives in the lower 48 states. It was summer and my grandparents on my dad's side were coming up to visit for a week. We planned to take them to our favorite places with the perfect mixture of scenery and history. You know, typical tourist things. I was very excited to spend time with them since it's crazy expensive to get in and out of the state so I don't get to see my other family members very often. We decided to take them to Hatcher Pass for the first destination, mostly because it's a great view up there and exploring the abandoned mines is really cool. Also, it's a 20 minute drive from my house, so it's a pretty convenient trip. We spent the days showing my grandparents around the pass. We took pictures in front of the waterfall. We touched some of the snow that still remained. We walked around the old mines, looking into the old buildings that were once home to the miners. It was really peaceful and it was a lot of fun. My family was enjoying spending time together. Before we began to head back home and prepare dinner, my grandparents wanted to stop by Mother Lode Lodge to purchase some souvenirs and also to just check the place out. I wanted to get a few pictures of my town far below the mountain to show my friends who lived out of state. And since I'd been inside the lodge before, I continued my picture taking while the rest of my family went inside there weren't many tourists remaining since it was drawing closer to the late evening. Most of them were further up the mountain, which left me alone in front of the lodge. I took my pictures, got some good shots of the mountains in the town below. A few minutes passed before I felt a temperature drop, a drastic one, and I shivered at the sudden chilliness. Now, I know many think Alaska is always naturally cold, and that's somewhat true the farther north you go but where I live, it can actually get pretty hot during the summer. It was a warm summer evening too, but now it strangely felt like early fall weather. You might say it's because the sun was beginning to set, but what people say about the sun never setting up here during the summer is very true. It only goes down for about an hour at around 3 a.m. or so, but even then, it's not very dark. So it was still plenty light out when this happened. I was baffled at the sudden change, but I didn't think too much of it. I figured maybe the mountain was changing its own weather since that's a thing that can happen often here. I decided that I had taken enough pictures and I put my phone in my bag and began to head inside the warm lodge until it was time to leave. I was just starting to turn towards the building when I spotted something black moving at the corner of my eye. I won't lie when I say this, but I felt my heart drop. That's because I thought a black bear had wandered over without me noticing. Bears can be very brutal. They've killed and mauled many locals and tourists alike. Usually it's people who weren't paying attention to their surroundings. You're supposed to make a lot of noise and make yourself look big if you encounter a bear in the wild. Your height can intimidate them sometimes and they'll leave you alone. You're also never supposed to run from a bear as it makes you look like a target and that excites them. I did my best to stay calm, slowly turning and raising my arms to make myself look bigger. I opened my mouth to start making any loud noise I could think of, but I froze when I noticed nothing was out there. I paused before dropping my arms and shrugging it off. I figured maybe I was just seeing things. I turned back towards the lodge, already forgetting about what just happened. I was about 10 feet from the door when I blinked and suddenly, there was a young girl off to the side. She looked around the age of eight. Her clothes were odd. They seemed out of place, not Renaissance old, but more like a dress young girls would wear during the early 1900s. Her blonde hair was in pigtails and I remember her blue eyes were strikingly similar to ice. She was maybe five feet from the porch of the lodge and she was staring quietly right at me. I jumped, visibly startled, because I was certain that she wasn't there before. I looked at her. I couldn't stop this feeling of dread forming in my stomach. Usually, when I hear horror stories and the author explains they got a sudden, unexplainable feeling of pure terror, I would just scoff, because it just sounds so cheesy and convenient. But in that moment, I understood exactly what they were talking about. I don't know what it was, but looking at this girl's icy glare, something screamed to me to just start running. Nothing about her was really intimidating besides her stare, but I felt so scared in her presence. We stood in silence, looking at one another. I was trying to calm myself down. I tried to come up with a logical explanation as to how I didn't notice her before, but she just kept staring at me. After what seemed like an eternity, but it was probably just a minute or so. I found the courage to ask her if she was lost in looking for her parents. She was quiet before looking down and had a hint of a sad expression on her face. When she answered me, her voice sounded so distant as if she was speaking across a body of water, yet it sounded so close at the same time. Rocks and snow took daddy away, and that made mommy lose it. As soon as she said that, It was then that I decided to trust my gut and book it. I raced towards the door to the lodge, not once looking back. Once I got there, I threw the door open and slammed it behind me, which gained me a few weird looks from the staff. They saw me panting and shaking and on the verge of tears. I couldn't have been around that girl for more than five minutes, but just being around her was so terrifying and incredibly depressing at the same time. One of the employees of the lodge approached me, asking if I was all right. I did my best to pull myself together and force a smile on my face. Uh, Yeah, everything's fine. I quickly walked away towards the gift shop. I felt like a five-year-old again, running from a monster to my parents for protection. Once I found them, I did my best to look calm and wander the store with them, but on the inside, I was losing my mind. I was remembering all the reports of supposed haunting surrounding this lodge, and I was beginning to believe every one of them. I was starting to feel unsafe being there, so I stood close to my grandmother, who was looking at purses. Once we finally left and began to drive down the mountain towards the town, I kept my eyes peeled for what could be the little girl I encountered earlier, but she was nowhere to be found. I never told my family what I saw that day, as I didn't want to ruin my grandparents' excitement about being in Alaska with us. Plus, Hatcher Pass is one of my family's favorite places to go. I'm still terrified about going back there. Now that I know its dark past is very real and it's very much alive in a way, I push myself to get through it whenever we go back. Well, on April, 2015, Motherlode Lodge burned down under suspicious circumstances the state is still trying to figure out how the fire even started. What's really strange for me about it though is that they let it burn down. They said that there was nothing they could do. There wasn't a fire service close by and no water resources on that part of the mountain. But I can't help but wonder if there's more to it than that, as silly as it may seem. Nowadays, when we go to Hatcher Pass and drive past where the lodge once stood, I feel overwhelmed with relief because maybe whatever was haunting it has passed on. However, I also find myself feeling very, very sad. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Number four, The Windigo of Alaska, submitted by Samuel P. It was late winter in 2016, Me and my friends, Dave, Sophia, Timothy, and Jess were going up to stay in a cabin I had rented. What was supposed to be a fun month of skiing, hiking, and hot cocoa quickly descended into a living nightmare within a matter of days. When we first arrived, it seemed pretty nice. The cabin had four bedrooms, a living room, a gaming room, and two bathrooms. It seemed like the perfect getaway destination for five 19-year-olds just looking for a home away from home. Sophia even brought her two dogs who would protect her with their lives. Tim brought his PS4 to hook up to the one TV in the house. I, of course, brought some basic survival equipment just in case because I believe some very strange things go down in the woods. I just wanted to be prepared. It was pretty late when we showed up at the cabin. So we went inside and we had decided to unpack everything the next day. When midnight rolled around, Tim and Dave were the only ones still awake when they began hearing strange noises outside the cabin. They said that it sounded like two people fighting, but they didn't hear any voices. Dave grabbed his pistol and looked out the window and what he saw made him freeze in his tracks. I saw this firsthand because I woke up the moment he looked out the window and looked like he had witnessed a murder. He was just frozen, and for a long moment, he didn't even breathe. When he came to and tried to explain what he saw to us, we told him that it was just a bad dream. Two days later was our hiking trip. Sophia brought her dogs with her, but we told her not to as they could run off, yet she wouldn't listen. We packed a huge bag full of supplies. Every hour, whoever had the bag would give it to someone else so that one person wouldn't just be exhausted. About an hour or two into our hike, Sophia's dogs began barking at what seemed to be nothing. Sophia managed to calm one of the dogs down, but the other one was barking incessantly. Before she could make it relax, it had bolted off into the woods. Sophia ran right after it. Being the friends that we were, we weren't going to leave her behind, hoping that she would just find her way. So we ran after her too, We were running for several minutes before we found Sophia, staring into the woods, frightened. Her dog was whimpering, looking at what she was looking towards. It took a minute before I finally saw it. I almost thought it was another person, just almost though. Then I saw that this thing was tall. It had pale white skin and was naked, and its arms were lanky, hanging down to its knees, but what I really focused on were the thing's eyes. They were glossy and dim, but somehow stood out the most. Perhaps it was how intimidating they were to behold. Before we had time to react, this creature lunged at Sophia, pushing her to the ground. Tim, of all people, literally fainted and fell into the snow. Jess ran over trying to wake him up, but it wasn't working. Then in all the commotion, there was a very loud bang, and everyone paused. Dave had grabbed his pistol from the bag and shot at the creature. He hit it, and the thing responded by letting out a blood-curdling scream. This was our chance to escape. Jess swung Tim over her shoulders as I grabbed Sophia. She had a huge gash on her arm from where the beast had bitten her. Her dogs were following close behind. We made it to my car, but right when I started it, I saw a flash of pale skin. It was the creature bolting straight towards the car. Luckily, we made it out of there before it could get to us. The nearest hospital was about half an hour away from the hiking site. We told the hospital that she was attacked by a bear because we knew that they wouldn't believe us. It's been more than four months now, and I don't think any of us have recovered from that day. Number five, Purple eyes Stalking Me, submitted by Morgan S. Something strange happened one night when I snuck out through my window to go driving with some friends. You see, I live on a rural island in Alaska. It's small, the island is only about 25 miles wide. So what I like to do for fun with friends was drive around it, late at night, of course, to get more thrills and chills. My friend Damien was the one driving. My little group decided it'd be a great idea to drive way up into the mountains. We began driving at around 11.30 that night, and we made it to the top of the mountain around 12.15. My friend Kane decided it was a good idea to ride in the back of the truck so he could look at the stars while we drove. He, of course, got cold, so we stopped and pulled over. This was a dirt road, with forest all around us. Cain was climbing back into the truck, almost freezing to death, when I saw something in the truck's headlights. It was peeking out behind a thick spruce tree, and it was very, very tall, too tall, with deep purple eyes. Its mouth was filled to the brim with teeth, and its entire body was snow white. The moment I caught sight of it, the hair in my arms stood on end, and my instincts told me to scream, but I instead whispered quietly to my friends Damien and Kane. We need to back up as fast as you can and drive the opposite way. Damien and Kane were of course confused, then I motioned my head towards the big tree. I watched as Damien's face turned ghost white, then the car jerked and he threw it into reverse, and we drove the hell out of there as fast as we could. Cain was still confused, asking what the hell was going on. I turned around to look at Kane, but what I saw instead was the creature tailing us on all fours, easily keeping up. I yelled to Damien to drive faster, and at this point Kane turned around to look, and I've never heard a man scream so loud. We kept driving as fast as the winding roads would let us. Of course, the creature is still following behind very closely. Once we made it back to the paved road, I couldn't see the creature anymore, but I knew it was still there. I could feel it. After that, we were all very shaken up, so Damien dropped us off, but I continued to feel unsafe even when I was back in bed. I couldn't explain what we saw, and that scared the bejesus out of me. I could still feel it watching for a week after that, as if it was just outside, waiting to get me alone. I have cousins from Alaska. They were raised there. They didn't have much to say about it other than it was cold and quiet. Perhaps they were lucky. Maybe they stayed out of the woods. Maybe they didn't carry snacks when there were hungry bears nearby. Maybe they always knew where they were going and didn't die alone in the woods. Or perhaps they did experience something, something that was too terrifying to ever talk about again. Good night. Be sure to like, share, comment, and subscribe if you enjoyed the video. And don't forget to send us your trucker scary story soon at deathbyfear.com. Also, a huge thanks goes out to my newest patron. They are Colby Wilson. Again, thank you so much for your help. I hope you enjoy those 44 bonus episodes.